What do you need to know as a limited partner investing in syndications? In today's episode, we're going to be diving in with a phenomenal guest on some of those best practices, some of the things that are really important to be clear on before investing in a real estate syndication. We're going to get into that and more. So let's get to it. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. For as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Now is one of the greatest times in history to be investing in multifamily real estate. With hundreds of millions of dollars literally moving from the stock market into alternative assets like real estate every single day, we're in the midst of a golden era. And one of the keys to success is learning how to avoid those upcoming pitfalls and mastering the process of how to scale as an operator in the multifamily business. Regardless if you're just getting started, if you've been in the game for decades, you've got to join us for this very special training put on by the Multifamily MBA on how to scale from zero to 2,400 units, the three biggest secrets from building a $320 million multifamily portfolio. Register to join us at the InvestorMindset.com slash MFMBA. That's the InvestorMindset.com slash MFMBA. Look forward to seeing you there. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pesavento. And today I've got a very special guest, Chris Pomerlu in the studio. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to have you. And you guys might know Chris is an attorney turned syndicator and real estate investor with over 1,200 units and over $80 million of assets under management. And he's very experienced in this space. And he's done a lot of passive investing and he has invested as a general partner himself. And what we're going to get in today is some of the things that are really important for you to know before you start passive investing. So we're going to dive into all those topics and more. You ready to get into this, Chris? For sure. Let's do it. Awesome. Well, before we get to the investing stuff, let's start by taking a look back at earlier in your life. What events or influences from your childhood, childhood specifically, have influenced and shaped who you are today? You know, I was, I was raised in a hardworking home. Um, at first my mother didn't work, but then they both worked hard to, my mom and my dad worked hard to, to, you know, do everything they could for their two kids. I have one sibling and I, and I saw how hard they worked and they always pressed me to kind of get as, get as far as I could in life and support myself and be comfortable. But I saw how hard they worked and I wanted to, maybe I, I saw what I didn't want to do as well. You know, they instilled in me the extremely great work ethic that I feel that I have, but I also saw that, you know, there's only so, so many hours in a day and there's, there's only so much active activity you can take to, to earn that income. And if you're going to try to want to live that life you want and choose to truly do whatever you want with your life, you're going to need that passive income. And so that was a huge, that was a huge wake up for me as I, be, as I became older and older and, and saw that. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it's like in life we have either models or warnings, people that we want to be exactly like and things and lessons we can learn from them or warnings of exactly maybe what we don't want to experience. And it sounds like right there you learned both of those things from your parents. Work very hard, know how to do that when you want to, but also create something that can give you the ability to not always have to work so hard. Yeah, I mean, well said. I, I hope that my my own children can 
learn from me and see what not to do just to become better. So yeah, my, my parents played both those roles, which is great. Yeah, you clearly have a growth mindset. Where did you first start realizing that, you know, it's possible for you to kind of grow and change and evolve, you know, as a person, as an attorney, you know, and eventually as a real estate investor? I was always, it took me a long time until I was about 30 years old, actually, to realize that my money and time is only so, because of time, my money could be capped, right? And I was 30 years old. I had just got out of the military and I was an attorney and I found a job and I was getting paid well. Um, But I realized I'm only going to get paid for the time that I work. And while many people are okay with that, uh, there's no ability to scale, and I learned that, wow, this, 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 this job that I have is paying me pretty dang well as an attorney, but I'm really, there's a ceiling and it's coming very quick. So that's when I started moonlighting, if you will, straight into single family, which I didn't last long there. I realized that you need to scale with multifamily, but that's when I realized it is that even with the attorney, the background, the great paycheck with all of that, there was still a ceiling and I need to get, I need to get somewhere a lot quicker. And I realized the only way you can do that is be able to scale through multifamily. Yeah. And that idea of scale is so important. All the listeners know about my story, you know, starting out in single family, flipping over 200 houses and eventually evolving into multifamily. And, you know, even when you're building a scaled company, like I was single family ends up just being an anchor. It really does hold you back from that ability to scale and to create that consistent cash flow at scale and being able to really do it passively. What was it? Where was that first instance that you thought to yourself, you know what, maybe multifamily is the path? I mean, it took me four years, maybe. Maybe I knew it for, for longer than that. But my first single family was 2013. And I did everything myself. I mean, I was changing the toilets, laying the flooring with my father, who was teaching me how to do these things. He's very good at them. It took us eight. To, that first one took us over a year to, to burr, as you will, get our money back. And then we were making like $200 a month in cash flow. And I was like, wait a second. I just worked a second job for a year and we're getting $200 a month. That's getting me nowhere. Now, don't get me wrong. $200 can help a lot of people, but it's not going to get me to where I want to replace an attorney income or, or get to a life that I want. Well, it took me four more single family homes to realize four homes in four years is great. I'm learning how to lay tile, but I'm not, I'm not on the path of where I want. So 2017 is where I said, Look, if we know what we're doing on single families and duplexes, let's start to jump into multis. And I, I jumped into a 20 unit in 2017. Yeah, well, that's uh, it's great that you made that move. And so for all those investors that are listening, you know, depending on where you're at, whether you're someone who's invested in multiple deals or you're somebody who's just getting started, I think there's gonna be a lot of lessons that you're gonna be able to take away from this. And so, you know, Chris, in your opinion, you know, what is some of those things that a passive investor needs to know, whether there's somebody who is active and they're investing their 401k money or their IRA money with someone else, because they've got to do that, they can't always invest in their own deals. What is something that a passive investor needs to know before making an investment with a syndicator? Yeah, I'd say the two most important things are first off, make sure that the business plan and your your intentions with your money is the same, right? There are many syndicators who are flipping apartments and selling it in three years. And, And don't get me wrong, you'll make great money doing that if you're successful on your business plan. But if you don't want to be handed back your money, if you'd rather have much more long-term money, make sure you're teaming up with a syndicator that has a longer-term plan, a buy and hold that's that's in it to replace and do the passive income. Make sure that you're just on the same, same path because there's no wrong or right way, but you don't want to be surprised on the back end. And then the second thing I would say, it, 
is I would vet them. And that may sound obvious, but make sure they have some experience. Um, now, look, people took chances on me early in my career and it worked out for them. And I'm, I'm happy for that. But knowing what I know now, I feel like you need to make sure that if you're investing your hard-earned money with somebody, they've done this before. They know what they're doing. They've, they have a proven track record. And yes, that may sound obvious, but real estate isn't as easy as just buying something and it'll all work out. You, there are a lot of hoops to jump through. And now with it being as hot and awkward as it's been the last year with COVID and COVID reserves and off market, on market and figuring out the bubbles in different locations, make sure you have someone who knows how to kind of weather that storm and adjust and take care of your money. Yeah, it's very, very important, right? I mean, you were mentioning the importance of knowing the business plan and making sure that aligns. And it's something we talk about a lot in the past investor playbook, which if you guys haven't grabbed a copy of that, head over to the investormindset.com slash passive. We'll include that in the show notes here for you guys. Uh, you can grab that, but it goes into being very clear about why and what your purpose for investing is. Because if you're someone who's looking for cash flow and it's exclusively cash flow, then you're going to want to make sure you're investing in deals that are going to be providing you that cash flow from day one. But if you're someone who's looking for exclusively equity growth or capital growth, then probably seeing cash flow day one is maybe not the most important thing, right? Or maybe you're someone who's right down the middle of hybrid, which is most of the deals that we do fit into that category. Of course, we do have opportunities on both sides, but I think that's such a good reminder. And Chris, when someone's looking at that, what should they be looking out for to make sure that that is in alignment for them? I, I think a phone call or a Zoom now that people are being more you know willing to, to meet like that is huge because that conversation is it's so much easier to glean the exact uh, alignment of interest if you can actually get on a call, certainly a Zoom or in person if possible, and make sure you're seriously on the same path with the same goals. And like you said, we have, now that we've been doing this long enough, we're, we're hybrid as well. I mean, we have a whole pool of investors who are okay with throwing their money into a deal and not even getting anything for two years. And then we have other investors who maybe want to just play the cash flow route or whatever. And, and making sure you're comfortable with that, ultimately, and you know this, that passive investor, you're investing in the person, the sponsor. You, you, you're, you're wanting to feel comfortable with them because it's, it's not easy. Not all investors just go out there and get you great returns, but a pro forma or an investor summary that's just pasted on a website somewhere, it can say whatever the heck number it says. That sponsor you trust, they're the ones who need to implement that business plan. And so you really just have to have that gut feeling and that comfort level with your sponsor. Yeah, it's so key. And it's part of that due diligence process, that vetting you're, you're talking about a number two. And it really does come down to vetting the person. You know, at Von Finch, one of the things we do is, you know, we're big believers in going out and finding the deal and funding the deal. But we really believe in working with experienced partners, people even like yourself who's been in the business. They've been able to scale up and do lots of deals. They know what they're doing. But as a part of that process, you really need to get to know them. Because when we're vetting sponsors for people that are going to come on and operate the deals that we find and the deals that we fund and, you know, be long term partners in different markets that we work in. It's so critical that those values are in alignment because I've met so many people who would be great partners, but just something isn't right. Maybe they don't communicate clearly enough. Maybe they're not quick on communication. Maybe it's transparency. What are some of those things that people should look out for, Chris, when it comes towards doing that vetting and wanting to make sure that, you know, this is a fit? I think you need to have these open, honest conversations. Maybe ask some pointed questions like, give me an example, sponsor, of 
a situation or an investment you had that didn't go the way you wanted it to? If that answer is everything goes the way I want it to, red flag, right? I mean, things change. And the ability to adjust to a certain situation is what you're really looking for in a sponsor because whether it's the market or whether it's uh, real estate or whatever type of investment you're in, things will change. And the ability of the sponsor to adjust to that is what's most important. So ask these questions about like, when have you failed? Or give me an example of uh, when an investment didn't go the way you wanted it to and what you did in that instance. Ask those questions, those harsh questions, because it really is a, it's an interview. It's a job interview. I mean, you're about to place your money with somebody. So having those questions as opposed to tell me about the complex, what are your projections on returns? I mean, you can read that from the, the PPM or whatever material they're going to hand you. But the, the real questions are getting comfortable, like we've been talking about with the sponsor. And I think that's the most important thing is that just make them open up on a level that perhaps other people haven't made them open up with. Yeah. So you dive in, you get to know them, then you start looking at maybe some past results. Then maybe it comes down to finding out, well, what is this specific deal that we're looking at now? There's a, there's an example I was given yesterday. I was in a mastermind yesterday. And one of the examples they gave is when they interview, uh, they're interviewing somebody in their, they're, they're looking to hire somebody in their firm, right? And they're getting close to hire and they'll take that individual out for dinner and they'll purposely have the waiter bring the, cook the steak the wrong way or bring red wine instead of white. And they'll look to see how that individual reacts. Right. And so the whole point of that is to, there, there are a lot of qualified people out there. How is that person going to adjust? How are they on that level? If they're getting worried about that one thing, what are they going to do when the returns come back or there's a fire in one of the units or get down into the weeds with these sponsors and make them open up because you want to feel comfortable with them. Today's episode is sponsored by Von Finch Capital. If you're interested in investing alongside me in the same type of real estate opportunities that I personally invest in, then head over to Von Finch Capital and join their private investor network. You can do so at vonfinch.com invest. Join me on that next deal. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Yeah, it's, it's so important to understand how are they going to deal with these challenges. One of the questions I like to ask is, tell me about a time that one of your deals lost money. Or if you don't have a specific deal that lost money, talk to me about how you deal with losses or challenges that have come up and tell me about a specific time that that happened. Because what it does is it gives people an opportunity to think back, well, how did I handle that? How was it handled in the, in the past? And one of the things I really look for is who is accountable for it. Are they taking accountability? Are they blaming it on some third party? Are they blaming it on, you know, some other person? The buck stops with them as the sponsor, as the general partner. So it's really important that for me, at least, that somebody is taking that accountability. And uh, I love that example because psychologically what's happening there is what you're doing is you're sitting down across from that person and they don't know that you're in on it. But you're putting them in a challenging situation. How are they going to handle it? Are they going to badmouth the server when they walk away to try to save face and ego? Are they going to politely ask for the right thing? Are they going to be willing to send it back? Are they going to talk about it? Are they going to kind of just eat it and just kind of act like, oh, it's no big deal? All of those things, there's no right or wrong. But in a situation for me, if it was with a sponsor, if it's probably with a team member, I'm going to want them to say something. I don't want them to be very kind about it, but I'm probably going to want them to make things right. Because if that's somebody and I'm investing with them and they're willing to just kind of act like nothing's wrong because they're afraid to lose a little face, then uh, wouldn't be in alignment for me. No, that's a great example. So it's just 
when I heard that, I was like, I'm stealing that. I'm, I'm, I'm complete. I'm going to start using that myself. That's a great idea. So talk to me a little bit about some of the different kinds of structures of deals that you've seen, because I know you're talking about maybe some short term projects and maybe you have projects that don't create cash flow up front. And maybe what the difference is for those projects that do create cash flow, because every sponsor is a little different. I'd love to understand for our investors and the listeners. What does that look like for you? Yeah. So, you know, we are buy and hold. And, and what I mean by that is. Um, not that we wouldn't change it, uh, per, you know, if we, if we were teaming up with a co-GP or whatever, and we had a different business plan, that's fine. But for the most part, our intent is to buy and hold, get that passive income. But with that being said, our goal is to refinance out of that deal, all 100% of the capital you originally put in. So that once you receive that capital back, plus your preferred return, you now own the property for $0, right? And that sounds too good to be true, but we've literally done that 44 times. Now that anywhere from a single family up to an 87 unit on that span. So 40 units, 20 units. So there's a, there's a mix there, but that's our goal. With that being said, a lot of our first time investors, if they don't know us very well, they're going to want that more traditional syndication type where they're going to start earning cash flow quarterly because it's really easy to conceptualize. And it's nice to know you're getting money back in your pocket, right? What we've seen though is some many of those who do get their money back and they store into cash flow, they're like, wow, these guys do know what they're doing. I'm willing to give them a little more this time. And I'm okay with not getting any cash flow for the first two years because now that project can turn much quicker. You might be able to restate, you might be able to stabilize a an apartment complex in three years instead of five years if you're willing to wait on the cash flow. I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way to do it. It's all on your comfort level. If you're not trying to get out of a job or you're not trying to, you know, keep the lights on at home or whatever, then you may be okay with waiting on that. And so it's just fixing up people's intent and comfort level on their investments. And some people are willing to wait and some people want the cash flow right away and there's no wrong answer. Well, I think that's great just to outline that because at the end of the day, there isn't a right or wrong answer when it comes to the types of deals that are available. But it's important to understand what is available and why some of these options might be best for you as an investor yourself. When you're looking at cash flow, you know that you're going to get that money coming in. Those tend to have, in some ways, a lower risk profile because that cash flow is coming in, meaning there's income being paid out consistently. However, I do want to be clear that many would argue that when you're increasing the basis, when you're taking a project from $5 million to $7.5 million, even if there is no cash flow for 12 or 18 months, that deal actually could be argued that it has the, the lowest risk as long as it's executed well, because there's so much space in between what you have today and what you're going to bring. So that's one of those things where it becomes more of an art than a science. When it comes to that risk profile, you have to understand what fits your bucket so that you can decide this is a fit, this project's not a fit, and be able to do that quickly. Because when these investments come out, for example, we just had a phenomenal investment out in Jacksonville, Florida, 288 unit property, and that fully funded within 10 days. And we had all wires within about 14. So that's an example of a situation where people who were kind of dragging their feet, they weren't 100% sure what they were looking for right away. Maybe they had something else going on. Whatever that situation was, quite a few people were upset that they missed out on the opportunity. But when you can be as clear as we're talking about, when you can understand your risk profile like Chris is mentioning and what kind of projects you're looking, you can jump and be ready to be able to say, yes, that's exactly what I want. 
I mean, that's a testament to you though, too, right? Because I remember the days where I was like, hey, I'm raising and I, I might not fully fund it until a couple of weeks before closing. And now it's so great to have that feeling where like, look, it's first come, first serve. I'm not trying to be rude, but now, now that you've garnered that trust from everybody, which obviously you have, it, that the, the mission is so clear. The business plan is so clear and the experience is there that it's, it, it's very obvious. You need to jump on if you want to ride the wave. And uh, that's a great feeling. So that's a testament to you. It's a great feeling and it's a great reminder to everyone who is either wanting to be in that position, maybe you're an active operator, you're looking to really take things to another level, maybe you're listening to this so you can understand the psychology of a passive investor, or if you're a passive investor on the other side, that when you can get super clear on what you want and when you know exactly why you want it, you're ready to keep your eye out looking around so that when you see it, you can say yes. And that's exactly what all operators are having to do right now or people who are even looking to buy a single family home. The folks who are sitting on the sidelines wondering, they're looking at a house, they're walking through it, they're saying, I'm gonna think about it. They just lost out on that property, it's already sold, at least in this market that we're working in today. And so for the experienced operators, the people like you, the people like myself, and most importantly, like the partners that we work with at Von Finch, they already know exactly what they want. So they can say yes to it well before it's even available. And as soon as they have an opportunity to put that offer in, they're doing it. And that's the reason why they're winning deals in such a competitive market. I'm curious, what have you seen, Chris? The market has been extremely competitive. You invest specifically in the Midwest. Are you experiencing some of those same things where you have to be really clear on what you're looking for in order to, to win deals today? Yeah, hundred percent. And in fact, I mean, I kind of have a, an informal agreement with most of my sources. If you send me the figures, if you send me a T12 and a rent roll, I'll have you an offer in 24 hours if I get the answers I need. Now, sometimes that's pushed to 48, but that's really important for the brokers or the, the bird dogs or whoever's bringing you the deal because they can go elsewhere. And as real estate becomes more and more popular, you're going to want to make sure, like you said, you know what you want, you know what you're looking for and be ready to jump because you don't want to be that person saying, oh, I'll think about it for three weeks and then you lose the deal. So even though this isn't Jacksonville, even though this isn't Atlanta or Dallas, even though we do now have something under contract in Dallas, um, you better know what you want. You better take a jump at your opportunity because it'll be gone quickly. Well, it's so true. And all the active operators that are listening and the people who are on the up and coming, you know how important it is to be able to get back to these brokers within that 24 hour span, even if they're sending you a junk deal, even if it's junk, because sometimes that junk deal is really just that gateway. It's that key to be able to see the good one. And for the LPs out there, it's just a reminder too how much work goes in to finding a deal well before one is ever brought to market. How many deals, Chris, do you think you'll look at consistently? I know for some of us on these bigger properties, it might be one out of 100 end up coming to fruition. You know, it sounds like you have some really good off-market connections in the smaller multifamily or mid-sized multifamily space. How many deals do you typically look at before you think you find one that fits? Everyone throws out that stat that you're, you're going to offer on 3% and maybe you get 1% of them or whatever. I mean, we, we're, we're underwriting easily five to 10 deals a week. And, and, you know, over the last three, four years, I think I've only had two, two or four days where I haven't had a property under contract, but we're passing on so many. And like what you said, the brokers really, or anybody really expect, they, they really appreciate. And I actually had someone tell me this recently on coffee, just say, look, what I like about working with you, Chris, and the guys at Park Ave is that 
that you'll tell me up front what's going on. You'll say, now that's an area that that's, that should be 55 a door. You're asking 75, it's a lot of range, but you tell somebody that because now the broker knows they can go elsewhere instead of wasting their time. And something could be said for the passive investor too. It goes both ways. And I don't know if passive investors ever think about it like this, but it's so refreshing for me as an operator who's raising capital to know that this guy over here, if he says he's going to fund it, it's funded in 48 hours, he's in the deal. I don't receive seven phone calls over the next four weeks. Yeah, it'll be there. I'm just kind of chewing on. I got to talk with the wife, you know, whatever. Uh, it, it, goes, it goes both ways. It, say what you mean, do what you say. And, and it, that's how you're going to succeed in this, whether it's from the passive or active position. It does. And I definitely will say that if I have an opportunity to give somebody priority, I'm going to give priority to the people who've been communicating clearly and transparently from day one on every single deal. So all of you investors, I want to say thank you so much for all of those that have responded to any time we put out a deal and they say, just so you know, I love the deal. It's not the right time. Or just so you know, uh, it's not the right market and the timing's not right. Or I love it, but I'm not interested in it because of this, this, and this. All of that feedback goes really far. And so Huge. for you investors who want to be in a priority position, that's the kind of stuff that people like I and Chris really appreciate because that same communication that we're looking for or expected from our from our brokers is exactly what you need to be having with us. And is that required? No. But it is that thing that ends up putting you in a position where you might get bumped up in the list if uh, if that is something we have the opportunity to do. For sure. So we've dove into a lot of great stuff here today. I want to dive into the growth rapid fire round where the questions are quick, but your answers don't need to be. So, Chris, talk to me about success. How would you define success and what is success to you? And I hope too many people haven't given this answer in your podcast, but really it's just happiness and doing what you want. I mean, I'm at a point now where I'm, I'm no longer going to be an attorney, right? And that's great for me. I'm also at a point where I don't have to keep doing real estate deals. I don't have to. I, I sincerely love it. If I wanted to go paint because I love painting, then I can go paint. And to me, that's success, doing what you want. You don't have to make a lot of money. You can live in a van. You can do what you like. By the way, vans are getting pretty cool these days. But I'm, you can do what, to me, success is just being able to put your, you know, putting yourself in a position to do what you and your family or your loved ones or whatever get a chance to do. That's success to me. That's beautiful. And from a habits perspective, what are some of those keystone habits that have led you to that feeling of success? And for a long time, I was waking up really early. Uh, we share a, a joint uh, you know, Trevor, Trevor kind of got me, Trevor McGregor got me to, to wake up early and look, I was in the military, so that wasn't really any skin off my back. I, I could do it, but you get into the civilian sector and it's, you don't have to do it. You know, you're not forced to do it. Um, then I had two kids under two and, and that's a little in and out, but I still try to do that very often. It's waking up early because uh, getting your head straight about your goals and what you're going to accomplish that day, what you learned from the day before, whether that starts at 444, like Trevor McGregor would tell you to do, or, or whether that starts at 530 or six, if you can get up and knock out a bunch of things before most people have, and really kind of set yourself on a positive trajectory for the day, I think that's really, really helped me. I do notice that the days that I do get up early and getting up early for me, it all starts with going to bed early, not going to bed late, but it really does create the opportunity for you to get up and get things going well before everyone else does. But from an inspiration standpoint, what impact have mentors made in your life and how do you look at going out and finding great mentors? Uh, you know, my decision to choose somebody I've already spoken of, Trevor McGregor, wasn't difficult. You know, his name is 
thrown around often by many, many successful people. He's been a great mentor for many people. Um, so that wasn't a tough decision for me. Uh, I, I, what I realized was that I, I was teaching myself how to do single families. And then I was teaching myself how to do multifamilies and I was catching good traction, but I realized why am I trying to learn everything myself? Why am I not asking somebody who's already done it? I can only watch so much YouTube or listen to so many podcasts in a day. And I, I still continue to do that, but the need to find somebody to do, to show me what they've already learned that it, you, it speaks it's one of the most important things you can possibly do. So whether that's through a great sponsor or a good partner, or certainly a mentor, that's a no brainer for me. And I'll have a mentor in some form or fashion the rest of my life. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It seems like having great experts in your life, mentors, coaches, leaders, people who can help guide your path is one of the fastest ways towards experience success. And anyone who doesn't have a mentor or doesn't have a coach right now, you're definitely making a huge mistake. So tell me this, Chris, where can people find out more about you or get in touch? Yeah. So our group is Park Ave Capital. Uh, we're at uh, parkaveinvesting.com. Uh, my email address is chris at parkaveinvesting.com. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on uh, Instagram, Facebook. Um, yeah, those are the easiest ways to get a hold of me. And we're actually starting a podcast soon here ourselves. So I'll be, you know, dropping that pretty soon. And I'm always happy to speak and talk about investment opportunities. And this is what I live and breathe now. So it's, it's great. So I appreciate you having me on your show. I really do. Wonderful. Super fun diving into this topic. I hope you guys took away something. And remember, as I tell you every single week, there's one, at least one thing that you could take away from today's episode. And how are you going to go apply that in your life immediately? Make that decision right now. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.